Now, the wealth protection diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating, her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. What does a company stand for? What values do its employees embody? What do its products contribute to the world? Answering these questions succinctly but meaningfully is challenging but worth pursuing to the many companies that craft core value statements or mission statements to anchor every aspect of a business in a set of commonly held beliefs and commitments. My guest, Andy Bailey, can cut through organizational BS faster than a hot knife through butter, showing organizations the log jams thwarting their success and coaching them past the excuses we all use to avoid doing what needs to be done. He doesn't ask for what's easy, only what's possible, and with his assistance, the possible often expands to include the formerly impossible as organizations learn that one step at a time gets you a long way when you step up to the challenge every day. After all, as he tells his clients, 100% annual growth is only 2% growth every week. It's not easy, but certainly possible. So how did Andy learn how to build great organizations? Well, he did it himself by building a great business, which he started in college, then grew into an Inc. 500 multi-million dollar national company that he successfully sold and exited. He founded Petra Coaching to pass on to other entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders the principles and practices he used to build a successful enterprise, which are rooted in the Rockefeller Habits methodology. Well, thank you, Andy, for being here with me today. That is quite the intro. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Let's talk about that because, you know, that, that's a term thrown around, core values, and most people obviously think of one word, integrity, but there's so much more to that. I consider it a company's soul. So why don't you share what you help businesses and organizations and certainly the owners and the team within the organization truly understand about why they need to have core values? So first of all, I think core values are one of those things that allow you to make decisions on a regular basis. If you have a solid set of values established, and yes, they are words. Um, Sometimes they're phrases or even longer statements. But they can help individuals make decisions on a regular basis, the just day-to-day type decisions. Are they in line with our values? So making sure that you have established core values and that they are well-written is step number one. In the nonprofit world, they pretty much have a mission and a purpose, and everyone has to be in alignment for that. Sometimes in the for-profit world, I think it's taken for granted because people don't really understand that, you know, the value is truly what's building the culture of an organization. And something I learned many years ago is as the owner, you either can set the culture or you find out that there's one being done for you. Yeah, we call that by design or by default. Right. You have, you have values in your organization. Are they the ones that you actually want? And I think it's important. That's a really good point. 
Um, I think it's important that the values of the organization are in alignment with the leadership or leader, um, owner, entrepreneur, whatever that might look like, and they need to uh, originate from that space. And these are not not what you do as an organization, but literally how you do it. And that's a key distinction. A lot of folks, when you talk about mission or vision statements, they'll they'll be wrapped up in what we do as an organization and core values should not be what we do. They should be how we do it. Something that we can action. It's a behavioral aspect of an organization. Well, when you talk about behavioral, so things like how we deal with customers or vendors or even our own staff. And yet, how do you know, like you come, you're brought into organizations, you're a, you're a coach. So you're brought in oftentimes, we hope because companies are doing successful and they want to grow more success, but oftentimes it's always the opposite. There's there's problems, and I'm sure you see this. It all starts with the people and that culture or those fundamentals of behavior within the organization. Sure, sure an example of something. Starting with a company, when we first engage, we're going to go in and discover the core values. And a lot of times that's just digging them out and putting them into words. Uh, I use the phraseology of these need to be six-pack words. So if you had six beers and I had six beers, it would be how we would normally talk. Um, It should not be wordsmith. It should have true meaning and be real, uh, not just pretty words on, on a piece of paper, certainly not created by marketing. So we'll ask them to tell stories. So the essence of the exercise would be leadership or entrepreneurs in a room, and we would just say, I want you to pick three people in your organization that you feel like exemplify your core values, meaning pick three people that if you're given the opportunity to hire them again, you would hire them in a heartbeat or you would fight to keep them. They would write down those three people's names, and then I would ask them, tell me a story about a time. And I mean a story like last Thursday at 3 o'clock, this happened, not don't give me the attributes of the human being, give me the story, something that this person did that exemplified the values. And in telling the story was where you get the real words. So they'll jump into a story, you know, last Thursday at 3 o'clock, Steve was working late and, you know, a customer came in and this happened and this happened and this happened and this is how he responded, the behavioral aspect of something that they value. And in that story, we dig out all of these really cool words and phrases and then we'll post them up on a wall. And it's amazing to see the alignment once you get through five or six or 10 of those stories being told. Uh, So much of the the same things are being said over and over and over again. So the discovery of those and getting them up where people can see them. And then we always have them take the, the words, we'll give you an example, one of our core values is be curious, ask why, and improve. And then you'll take that and turn it into an explanation or understanding statement. This is what it means to the organization. Uh, and then beyond that, you'll turn it into an expression statement. This is how you express it. This is how you live it every single day. Uh, and then you take that and turn it into that we hire for these attributes, we fire for these attributes, and we reprimand and reward for these attributes. So core values become a decision-making tool in a lot of aspects of business, not just day-to-day work, but certainly when you're looking at the right kinds of people to allow into an organization, it becomes a really, really big filter. 
This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Andy Bailey, who is a coach out of Nashville, Tennessee. And I, I actually found you. I was reading a newsletter, a local newsletter, and you had an article in there. I hope you know that you were published in this local little newsletter. <laughs> Just said, wow, here's a guy that seems to know what he's talking about. I liked what you said about alignment, and I think that is something that a lot of organizations don't often experience because yesterday Sally gave this answer and tomorrow Fred did something different and it was trying to get to the same result. And so do you find once people understand that this is what we believe in, this is what we stand for, this is who we are, and this is how we're going to respond to whatever situation that you do see a more focused organization? Yeah, and and if you look at it, you know, we we talk about purpose as a different piece of this. So core purpose would be why why we do what we do, what's our, our reason for being as an organization. Again, not what we do, but why we do it. And values are how and the behavioral aspect of the organization, and those two pieces can be, can answer a lot of questions. Um, I recall recently sitting in a, a planning session, and the company was talking about going into this particular line of business, and you know, I, I listened for a little while and, and gave some feedback, and finally I just asked the question: you know, Does this line of business support our purpose and align with our core values? And the answer that they gave me was no. So I just simply said, well, why are we even talking about it? So, again, just using these, once you get them right, and they take a little while to get right the first time you're at it, we call it a draft. So it's got to work on it, work on it. But you can always just lay these two pieces down, purpose and values, and use it as a filter for any decision that you need to make in I do a lot of teaching. I teach business planning and all kinds of uh, awesome courses related to how do you really understand what business you're in. And I am amazed oftentimes because a lot of my students are people who have been in business two years, three years, 15 years and beyond. And when you really ask them the question, what business are you in? It takes us a while for them to truly understand what that means. It's no shock to me that you would be in that conversation with a group of people that are off on, you know, chasing the next rabbit trail, and yet reality is it took you all of about 30 seconds to go, does this fit with what we're doing? Does it surprise you how many people don't know what business they're in? You know, a friend of mine, has a, uh, Mike Maddox, has a great saying, and he says you, you can't read the label from inside the jar. So the perspective that people have from inside of a business is so different from us who sit on the outside of the business many times. So I think that's a good way to look at it when knowing when you're in the business and how, whatever it may take, it may take a coach or a third party or a class or whatever it might look like, peer group, but making sure that you have that outside the jar perspective just to ask those kind of questions and see things that you can't see because you are stuck inside the jar. I want to learn from Andy Bailey, my guest today, what he understands to be true, something that 85% of all businesses never do. We'll be right back. This is Marika Barron, Executive Director at Down Syndrome Network of Northern Nevada. This is Christine Riggi, a parent volunteer at the Down Syndrome Network of Northern Nevada. You are listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show, right here on 99.1 FM Talk. Thank you, Sherry. 
Sage International Incorporated is proud to be celebrating 23 years in business. We believe if you know the way, you must light it for others. Owning a business can be hard, demanding, and even bizarre. At Sage International, our passion centers on education, which is based on our own experiences of building a company from scratch, along with the insights gained from the thousands of clients we have served. If you are a business owner, real estate investor, professional or entrepreneur, and not sure how to properly structure your business and personal assets to safely grow, protect, and leverage your hard-earned wealth from the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate, and estate taxes, then call Sage International Incorporated at 775-786-5515 to schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry Hill today. That's 775-786-5515. Call Sage International. People think of execution as the tactical side of business. That's the first big mistake. Tactics are central to execution, but execution is not tactics. Execution is fundamental to strategy and has to shape it. No worthwhile strategy can be planned without taking into account the organization's ability to execute it. My guest, Andy Bailey, is a speaker, entrepreneur, and coach at Petra Coach. He loves to assist business owners and entrepreneurs in building the solid foundation that allows them and their teams the ability to achieve their goals. To learn more, check out PetraCoach.com. So, Andy, let's talk about why you think 85% of all businesses never set a goal, make a plan, which means there's nothing to execute on. It's a recurring statistic that I've seen. I think uh, Harvard Business School did a study on it a few years ago, and I've repeated it over and over. I say it at the beginning of talks that I do. Um, I'll go into a room full of 100 or 200 or more people, usually entrepreneurial folks, and I will give them exactly what they need to go do. But at the beginning of the talk, I'll say, look, you know, 85% of the people in this room won't do any of the work with the information that you get today, which means 15% will, and I don't know the difference between who's 15 and who's 18, so i got to talk to all of you guys. And it just continues to hold true year after year after year that we, we have a lot of the information of what we need to go do. You just said it. The whole world knows that you should have a plan and that you should do the work, right? So set a goal, make a plan, do the work. We all know that. It's common sense, but common uh, common practice is just not what we see in business today. I was reading in our local paper today, and one of the cities had their big annual meeting or whatever, and they were talking about they went out to the whole community and drilled down into what the community wants out of their city, and so they built a plan. And it was interesting to me because they said in this plan there were 100 goals. So how do you how do you do 100 goals? I'm a huge believer in three a year. That's it. So how do you help business owners, organizations really drill down into what is the priority? What should you be setting a goal on? First of all, the shift in a business's mind needs to be that the product that they have is their business. And they need to think about it in terms of improvement of the organization over the course of time, not necessarily continuing, as you said, make, making widgets. So the product is their, their product is their business, not necessarily a chair or a table or a service. It's the business itself. So they've got to, they got to work on that. 
that's a ridiculous number. They're not going to get any of that stuff done because they're going to be defocused across way too many priorities. And when we work with companies, we use these big post-it notes. So they're you know, I don't know, five by sevens or bigger than that. And we put a room of just like they would have in the city. We would have everybody write down what's, what is the one thing we need to get done this quarter, this year. And then we would, we would create what's called a heat map. So rather than having 100 suggestions from 100 people, we're going to put them up on a wall and we're going to see where we have the most alignment. So this one is around you know, parks and rec and this one is around safety and this, was, this one is around something else. But we're going to focus on the three, as you said, that have the most votes. And those are the ones we're going to tackle. If we get those three done, great. We'll pull some more off the shelf and begin to work on it. If we give visibility into to more than that, then nothing's going to get done. When you think about it, setting a goal is great, yet it's, as you mentioned it, it's the work. And so (laughs) that's where the struggle seems to be. (laughs) Well, we we work with teams, um, and we come up with a specific priority. And in in our world, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So the priority has to be written in a very specific manner. That's one of the hardest things we see with groups of people in business is being specific we talk about the there's a movie that's playing in the in the entrepreneur's head and they, they have a vision of what they want, but they just really suck at conveying that information. So everybody's looking at them like trying to interpret what it is that they actually want. So they got to get really, really good at being specific with what they convey. So that's one of the pieces that we work with companies is to be specific in those, those goals. We call them priorities. But beyond that, we want them to create a plan. So we have a worksheet tool that we use and uh, every priority gets a plan during the planning day. So your you know, city that got together, if they'd have chosen three of those, they could have spent that time more effectively building out a plan that says, you know, week one, we have to do this, and week two, we have to do this, and week three, we have to do this, and week four, we have to do this, in order to achieve that outcome. Then it's just a matter of you know, going back and making sure that you do the thing that you said you were going to go do. Well, a lot of people can create a priority or create a plan, but does the organization have the ability to execute? And so that's where, you know, people come to me and, and I'll say, what's your goal? Oh, I want to you know, build a multi-million dollar company. Okay, well, what does that look like? How many butts in chairs? How much space? How much in sales? And they can't answer those questions. And so it's those big goals where you have to really drill down and ask a whole bunch of those what-if questions to determine if you can e- is it worth even focusing on because there's no way we can execute on it. I'm sure and you see that. So we would take that company and we would say, all right, so multi-million dollars, what does that mean? They said, we'll call it five. Five, five million is multi-million. And in what time frame? So we want to do that in five years. Okay, so let's let's put that out to the five-year goal. What do we want to do in the first year? Well, let's do one in the first year. That makes sense. If we're going to get to five, we got to get to one at some point. Now let's talk about what we got to do in the first 13 weeks. So by quarter, essentially just breaking down where we're going to be at the end. Different if you were taking a vacation, you would take the first step towards the vacation. Breaking it down to one quarter with a very specific week-by-week plan to achieve what I want to achieve by the quarter, and then literally breaking it down to what am I doing today and creating what we call a daily huddle so that your team members were in a daily huddle looking at priorities and talking about what's my one top priority for today is a small piece towards what I have to get done for a quarter, which is a small piece towards what I have to get done for a year, which is a small piece towards what I'm going to do over a five-year period of time. 
So that discipline of small actions on a regular basis in order to achieve great outcomes is what we're after. But you have to create you know, habits inside of an organization. It's, it's not habitual for somebody to get up every day and say, my one small thing today towards my five-year goal is this. They don't, they don't normally think that way. So you have to change the way people think over the course of time and create these habits through meeting rhythms and dashboards and visibility into red, yellow, green systems, things like that, so that they can see progress, but also understand, as you said in the opening, 2% per week is all we're looking for. Could seem daunting for some, but when you boil it down, I mean, 2% per week in an increase in profitability or sales or something, it doesn't seem like a lot, right? And I'm guessing that's part of your craft because when somebody says, yeah, you know, I got a five-year goal, that is massive. And yet your ability to drill down, break it down, what is that thing you're going to do every single day that's going to drive you closer to that goal um, what do we call that? Eating the elephant one bite at a time, one right? Bite at a time. Sure. <laughs> if any of the listeners are, you know, they run marathons, they don't, they don't and I, I've never run a marathon, but I've got, we've got coaches that do that and triathlons and Ironmans and all this stuff and, um, and a lot of friends that do it as well. And, and they'll tell me, you know, nobody goes out and runs a marathon. Uh, everybody goes out and runs a mile and then they run the next mile and then they run the next mile. Because if you thought about running 26 miles or you know, an hour, whatever, whatever the race may be, it's too big. You can't process it. But you can process the first mile. And then you can process the second one. So this is the same type of way of thinking about getting to a large goal in business. And I think sometimes it, it takes work to do it. So I think that's where people fall down. They go, well, you know, we'll just do what we've always done and end up in a, in a good place and that doesn't that doesn't always work I mean, if you, you, you have to prepare and you have to plan if you want to reach a target you got to go set a target and then figure out what you have to do to get there well, and also you have to consider what I call whole life planning because, you know, what happens is, yes, we're in momentum and then all of a sudden Joe went on vacation and he was critical to the plan and, and then there goes Beverly who, you know, has the checkbook and pretty soon you're derailed, right? And once derailed, it seems like people don't tend to get back on track. Yeah, that's part of the accountability side of it. So these huddles and meeting rhythms that we create from dailies to weeklies to monthlies with teams of people allow you to, you know, I'm, I'm behind, but I, I can get caught up if I do this kind of conversations. And those do need to happen on a regular basis. So if everybody has a set of priorities and you can use a dashboard, we create the software tool for that. It allows everybody to see where everybody is uh, and gives them accountability. Nobody wants to show up to the meeting and say, I'm in the red, I'm in the red constantly. But if they are in the red, they're, they're saying, help me, need some help. And the team is there to support them in that. Mm. We come back, I'm going to hear from my guest, Andy Bailey, his thoughts on one of the foremost key business drivers, which, of course, is related to your people. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Tracy Weil, and you're listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show right here on 99.1 FM Talk. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Sherry Hill is a dynamite host, and I am thrilled to be on her show. Thank you, Sherry. 
Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over two decades, we have taught thousands of business owners, real estate investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate, and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 775-786-5515 to set up a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry Hill if you want to experience peace of mind today. That's 775-786-5515. Call Sage International. If you have comments about today's show or any questions, please email sherry at sherryhillshow.com. The foremost key business drivers, of course, are the staff and talents, the people. Being the literal brains behind every business, people make and set the objectives, execution of critical decisions, and constant innovation to move the business forward. Today, I'm speaking with Andy Bailey, who is a Four Decisions Certified Entrepreneur Coach based in Nashville, Tennessee. The four decisions relate to strategy, people, execution, and cash, what every CEO has to focus on and make decisions around to grow their business. In addition to building a successful company, Andy founded the Wireless Reseller Council and served as the regional membership director for the entrepreneur's organization, East Region, encompassing 18 chapters in the eastern U.S., Recently, he was named the new membership director for EO's West Coast region and currently serves as president of the EO Nashville chapter, named one of the fastest growing EO chapters in the world. Well, congrats on that. So, Andy, you help entire organizations understand the importance of relationship drivers, which define the actions that create high levels of connectivity within groups of people whom the business deems important. So share what you mean by relationship drivers. The concept is to break down what are the key performance indicators with having a positive relationship on the, in the people side of the business. So people could mean... Team members, obviously, uh, not not many organizations get through life without having uh, team members. It could be clients or customers. What are the relationship drivers that, that lead to a positive outcome with customers? And then finally, it can mean stakeholders or investors or vendors, um, partners, anything like that. So the first is to define what are the three areas of people that you have in your organization and then to begin thinking about what are the key performance indicators to have a positive outcome in that. And when I talk about key performance indicators, I mean leading indicators, not lagging results. So from a you know, team member aspect, what are the leading indicators to having a positive outcome? It might be you know, number of PTO days that they take. If they, you know, It's statistically known that if people don't take vacations, then they get burned out and they're not very happy in a role. Just thinking through what are the leading indicators in each one of those areas that would preserve the relationships that you have, uh, and then making sure that an organization pays attention to those, measures them, measures them in some way, uh, and then continues to to work on them. So, would one of those measurements obviously would be turnover within your organization, right? So that would be you know, lagging. So that's a result. 
when we talk about that leading indicator, what, what might be a leading indicator to turnover. Um, we see a lot of times with teams, they, they don't know where they stand with their employer. So you know, the number of one-on-one meetings that we have with team members might be a leading indicator that would reduce the lagging indicator of turnover. Uh, do you have a solid review system in place? Are these people on a regular basis going through a review process to see where they are and what they need to do to improve? Feedback is incredibly important in organizations today. And a lot of people, a lot of people 50 plus, feel like if my boss isn't talking to me, that's a good thing. But if you're you know, under the age of 50, it's you, know, they, you want to hear from your boss or your manager. What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? And how do I improve? So feedback might be a leading indicator to reduce the lagging indicator of, of turnover. You had mentioned in one of the previous segments, daily huddles or quick conversations. Certainly, generationally, it sounds like if you have young people in your organization coming together uh, every morning for five minutes, we're not talking about a, a meeting for an hour every morning, right? <laughs> Just, right. Yeah. Just, yeah. So we say huddles, uh, daily huddles should be 15 minutes or less. Uh, we have a group in, that has 55 people in a daily huddle. It lasts about 20 minutes. And that, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty to actually watch it happen because they get a lot of information out. Everybody's in alignment. Everybody knows what's going on in the organization, holds everybody accountable to their metrics, et cetera, all in about a 20-minute period of time with that many people every single morning. So it's, it can be done. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, you get a lot of pushback on that particular one. Like, we could never get together and, there's a big statement. You can do it. You just have to set your mind to it make sure you do it. Well, you have to put it on the calendar. Or it's part of your culture, as we talked about before, so that this is part of the expectation is that you show up to the morning huddle. And you participate in a systematic way, and you bring good information, that you bring energy, you're not in there Eeyore around. There's a lot of things that go into it. And we've got a participation sheet on our website if anybody wanted to go download it about exactly what this looks like, what a huddle should look like. So that's at PetraCoach.com. We're talking about relationship drivers. My guest is Andy Bailey, who uh, founded Petra, and he's now a, a certified coach. Relationship drivers, obviously customers get a ton of attention. As you said, what are all the things leading up to uh, for a positive outcome with your client, as well as within your, I'm guessing, community, and anyone that has a vested interest or not even a vested interest in you being successful? So let's talk about the client side. I've had some interesting conversations in the last couple of weeks with several clients that sometimes I wonder... (laughs) Am I developing a bad attitude or what is happening? I'm, I'm not sure what's going on across the country. Is it Mercury is in retrograde? Not sure. But all of a sudden, it wasn't all positive. I don't want to beat myself up, but stuff like that happens every day in business. How can we reduce that or, or make sure that it, it happens infrequently? I think relationship has a lot to do with that, that aspect of business that we, we tend to most organizations tend to treat customers or clients or whatever the term may be as a, a metric or a number. If anybody's got you know, cable television or a cell phone, if you try to call customer service, you just get treated badly. So I think if we would work to develop a relationship, meaning just understand 
here's a good example. We were talking about air travel. So I just got back from a trip up in the Northeast last night. Air travel sucks. And, and sometimes I wonder if the airlines would just walk through their own processes sometimes, what would they actually do to improve that? Because nobody wants to go through all the hoops and hurdles and press seven for this. Nobody wants to go do all that. So if there was truly a way to, to form a better relationship with your end user, customer, client, whatever the term may be, by experiencing what they experience, that might be a way to improve that particular relationship. When you've been in business a long time and you've pretty much dialed in your systems and processes, there isn't a lot of work left to be done in that area other than small improvements because of technology and so on. And yet it comes down to the the people side of business, those relationships. The one client I had the conversation with had been a client for a long time. We did resolve it and, and all is well. The other, I didn't know these people. And so I didn't have time to build a relationship with them. It didn't end well. Is it that we're moving in such a fast pace that that people don't want to spend that extra effort to build relationship and they want everything now or yesterday? And if you can't provide it, then you're a bad person. There's probably some truth to that, that we're in the now generation of technology and everything's at our fingertips. And I know I, I'm, a, I'm an Amazon shopper. I don't go to the store anymore. And it's just easier for me to do those things. Uh, but there's also a case for misalignment when it comes to that particular client, whether it be yours or you know, listeners have these too. And, you know, sometimes we'll draw this grid. Of, you can imagine just four boxes on a piece of paper. and We'll put, you know, you love them and they love you. And that may be box A. And then box B is you love them and they hate you. And then you go down to box C and it's you hate them, but they love you. And finally, it's they hate you and you hate them. So you have this four quadrants of, of customers or clients of A, B, Cs, and Ds. And we all, over the course of time, we accumulate all of these. But wouldn't it be nice to make sure that you had as many A's as possible? You love them. They love you. So begin to work systematically on exiting out the D's, the C's, and the B's just because there's this misalignment. And a lot of times, it's just in knowing that client to be able to ask, why is it that you love us? What is it that we're doing for you that makes you keep coming back and stay in that place and continue to improve in that arena? And like you said, the box D, where it's rare and infrequent, the issue is you beat yourself up because like, wow, how did that go there? We have to hold our head high and go, you know what? We have way more A boxes and those infrequent Ds, and that's okay. That's life. The same thing with employees and team members. There are different categories of team members, and we just got to do a better job of making sure that our focus is on the A's and not as much on the D's and C's. But we, we tend to, we're human beings, we fall to the negative really quickly. We spend most of our time in our businesses with the C players, we spend most of our time with our clients that give us the most grief. I mean, it should be the exact opposite. So over the course of what we call implementation of the Rockefeller habits, there's a lot of exercises and a lot of emphasis, which comes to a priority that comes out of it is working to categorize and exit or fire clients that don't have a good fit. Good advice. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your take on transparency within an organization.
But first, we're going to hear from my friend Rocket Tom, someone who helps me think outside the globe. Welcome to Think Outside the Globe with Rocket Tom Teramina. This mission debriefing 106 is foreseeable risk. The mission objective was to safely transport golfers around the golf course. The mission, the mission profile. profile. Two avid female golfers were playing a very hilly golf course. They had rented a golf cart from the clubhouse and were enjoying their play. Traversing a very hilly path, the passenger was thrown from the cart and sustained major damage to her spine and hips. The flight. The flight. Detailed investigation of golf carts revealed some disturbing facts. The side handles are very small and recessed so that golfers can slide in and out of the seat. There are no safety belts. There are no handles on the dash or the canopy structure. While they have a controlled maximum speed, it does not take into consideration steep terrain. What limited safety warnings were provided were underneath the place where the scorecards were retained. Houston, Houston, we have a problem. problem. The passenger was only five feet tall. There was absolutely nothing she could hold on to as they traversed the hilly course. In deposition, the manufacturer represented that they had to design golf carts for large and tall people to easily slide in and out. They claimed that golfers would not wear seat belts, and they saw no need for any handles or grips. The most shocking testimony was that the company had a long history of defending lawsuits from individuals who were injured using their product. In fact, they had a line item in their budget to cover lawsuits and liability insurance premiums. Think Think outside outside the the globe. Does your organization build into its budget the cost of defending lawsuits? Does your company philosophy include the policy that you will routinely injure users in the normal use of your business? Rather than make such assumptions, the most successful companies research opportunities for foreseeable risks and remove them from their products. Even the most diligent companies, however, seldom approach warranty and customer service problems as opportunities to find and eliminate the core issues that cause even the most benign failures. The concept of risk avoidance is alien to the global risk management industry. It's commonly accepted that products will always have a certain failure rate that's acceptable and unavoidable. If your desire is to stand out from the competition, institute a culture that makes it unacceptable to ship a defective product for any reason. As you approach the target of defect-free, you'll save significant money and manpower dealing with warranty and repair issues. Most importantly, you'll remove your organization from the risk of lawsuits. For more on Think Outside the Globe, visit me at rockettom.com. This is Andy Bailey. You're listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show. The best advice is sage advice from the Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Sage International Incorporated is proud to be celebrating 23 years in business. We believe if you know the way, you must light it for others. Owning a business can be hard, demanding, and even bizarre. At Sage International, our passion centers on education, which is based on our own experiences of building a company from scratch, along with the insights gained from the thousands of clients we have served. If you are a business owner, real estate investor, professional or entrepreneur, and not sure how to properly structure your business and personal assets to safely grow, protect, and leverage your hard-earned wealth from the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, 
liability exposure, probate and estate taxes, then call Sage International Incorporated at 775-786-5515 to schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry Hill today. That's 775-786-5515. Call Sage International. If you missed any part of today's show and would like to listen to the podcast, please visit SherryHillShow.com. The business must be profitable or there is no business. Each person on the team must understand how the business makes money and how they contribute to it. Each person on the team must have a general working knowledge of revenue, gross margin, and net margin. Transparency does more for culture than any single effort. Andy Bailey is a serial entrepreneur who spends the majority of his time coaching other entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, and teams to grow dynamic businesses that focus on people, planning, processes, and profit. With Andy's assistance, the possible often expands to include the formerly impossible as organizations learn that one step at a time gets you a long way when you take those single steps daily. He tells his clients 100% annual growth is only 2% growth a week. It's not easy, but it's certainly possible. You can find out more on PetraCoach.com. So, Andy, let's talk about transparency within an organization and what tools you suggest to help the business owner talk about what's going on. All right, so this is probably the most feared topic that I see in companies today because when we walk in and we start working with them is we want them to share the financial side of the organization. And the pushback that we get is, like I've heard this statement so many times, if our people have any idea how much money we make, they're going to want more of it. It's just a constant um, mantra amongst business owners that we see. I, I do this exact same exercise, and listeners can do this with their teams. It's very, very simple to do. If you put your team in a room, and you just give them a piece of paper, and you will simply explain to them what profit actually is. If we make a dollar, you know, we spend it, we spend it on expenses, lights, and overhead. And I'll walk you through the exercise in a second fully. Then we come down and we have a profit. So that's what how many cents are left in this dollar at the end of the month or at the end of the year. If you ask the team, and we do this all over the place with hundreds of companies, how many cents at the end of the year, which would be a percentage of the dollar do we have left in profit? And just ask them to please write it down. Don't let them talk about it. Let them write it down. And, and they'll write so many cents down. And universally, the answer to this question has been 35 to 55 cents, meaning that their team members already think that 35 to 55% of every dollar that's produced in that organization is being shoveled into the back of somebody's suburban at the end of the week. Now, once an owner or entrepreneur or a leadership team knows that, they become much more comfortable going, oh, let me tell you the truth, man, it's really 16%, which is we thought was really, really good, and then we're paying 40% taxes on top of that. you got to break that barrier so that teams, especially leadership teams, feel comfortable being transparent with financial information. The other side of this is your team members cannot affect change financial change in an organization if they don't understand it, at least, at least at the basic level. So you've got to give them financial literacy training. Now, they don't need to be a CPA or even a bookkeeper level, 
but they need to understand basic P&L knowledge. What is revenue? What is cost of goods sold? What creates gross margin? What fits into the cost of goods sold bucket so that we can create margin? And then finally, what are our expenses and how do we create profit? And then how do they fit into that puzzle? What can they do to affect change in those areas? So the first part is you got to break down the barrier. The second part is you have to go educate people. And then that, they realize that, wow, maybe we aren't so profitable or, gee, I won't ask to go spend a whole bunch of money when we don't have it. So part of transparency isn't just the financials. It's also the goals and the strategy and the planning and everything else so that, as we mentioned before, everyone's in alignment. If people, you know, the folks on the front line have the most ability to affect change in an organization. If we don't give them the insight to know what to go do on a regular basis to affect that change, it's our failures and leaders. One of the things that I've come across that I find really interesting is I ordered something out of catalog. I had a promo code. I was supposed to get $50 off. Long story short, two months later, it was all around $50. And literally, it took me two months to resolve because the gal on the front end could not have uh, the decision-making authority to say, you know what, Ms. Hill, you're right, and we owe you 50 bucks. It's things like that that cost an organization money, that front line that says, my gosh, if the refund's under 100 bucks, just do it. If it's demonstrated that it really should be in the favor of the client. But I'm sure you see this a lot where that transparency is non-existent. So in other words, she had to go to a supervisor who had to go to a supervisor who had to go to the IT guy to had to go to the marketing guy to find out why that promo was in the catalog, and it took two months. Yeah, it probably cost them $2,000 to give you your 50 bucks. Right. And I'm hesitant to do something with them again. And we're talking about them on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't local. It's that kind of stuff where when we talk about transparency, certainly the, the core within the organization, the financials and our, our core values and our customer service protocol. But part of this is as consumers, we also want to see transparency and we want to know that simple decisions can be made by the person I'm talking to on the phone. Some of that is just education. Most organizations' leadership does not believe that their frontline folks are capable of making those decisions. There's a statement that I make in a talk that I do that says, uh, you, are, you are stronger than you think you are, you are smarter than you think you are, and you have more possibilities than you can possibly imagine. And when I talk about that, I'm talking usually to entrepreneurs or leaders of companies. And I quickly turn that around and I said, this is true of your team members. It's true of you, but it's true of your team members. And you have to, as leaders, give them the autonomy through education. If they understand how to make the right decision, you give them the autonomy and they'll make the right decisions. And if they don't, you got the wrong person. You hired the wrong person, that's your fault too. But to spend $2,000 to get $50 credited on somebody's account is ridiculous. Yes, right, exactly. As far as transparency, this is also something where the leader of an organization I mean, what is your feeling? Sometimes, like last week I shared, wasn't one of my best weeks, and it's kind of like I was venting or frustrated more to myself, but obviously that energy is in the room. 
is that okay? Is that something that I should just go out and hit a punching bag or walk around the building? Yes, I know that's the right answer. But is it okay for people to see that the leader is also sometimes having a tough day? There's an old saying that you should always bitch up, meaning if you're going to complain about something, and we all have days like that, it should go to a place where it's both understood and things can change. Going sideways with a complaint doesn't help. Going down in an organization with a complaint doesn't help. So you've got to figure out where up might be for you. And if you're the leader, the CEO, the entrepreneur, you may have to go to a peer group for that as opposed to inside of the organization. Every leader in an organization should have somebody that is their peer. doesn't have to be a partner, but somebody that's their peer in the organization so that they can have those conversations. And if they don't, you need to take it outside of the organization. You know, going down or you know, across with those kind of complaints doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, that, that fosters yeah, negativity. <laughs> it does, and people do understand, however, that you're only human. So spending time with and having human conversation with the people in your organization is important as well. So they just understand that you're, you're not a freaking robot. And it's not every day or every hour. It's once yeah. in a great while. I'm 99% positive, and it's those sure. just weird things that you just like, if I can't vent, I'm going to blow up, but I limit it. It's at 30 seconds, right? <laughs> just yourself a code word so that they know, I'm going to throw the code word so we can have this conversation, then it's going to go away. Yes. I want to thank you for being here. My guest was Andy Bailey. He is a Petra Coach, so you can go out to PetraCoach.com, find out more about him. You help organizations, you speak, you do all kinds of cool things. You have some awesome information on your website, so I'd encourage folks to go out there. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you, I imagine you're available for that as well. Absolutely. Call anytime. You're in Nashville. Some great music coming out of Nashville. I'm a huge country music fan, and hopefully you're helping those guys keep up the good work. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the time very much. All right. Bye. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show. And tune in next week, same time, same station, for The Sherry Hill Show.